Welcome back, folks. This is Big Mama Hex Season 2, Episode 23, and we're sitting down today with Sarah Linsenmeyer. Sarah is an herb farmer and a homesteader in a very unique piece of land and property um, right on the inside of the Sydney limits of Reading City proper and just a really magical land. Um, Sarah and I know each other. We met at the Folk Fest a few years back. Um, she came into our booth and then we mutually followed each other. Um, she has some of our artwork in her home. And then also she reached out to me this year to do a logo for her, for her property. And subsequently the business that she's starting to grow um, with the herbs and all kinds of wonderful goodies um, that come from the land and magical things. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. The first thing I'm dying to hear retold to me in person, um, verbally, is the story of your property. It's a tiny little cottage in the woods. Um, it is 913 square feet, but only about 613 square feet are livable. So my husband and I live in 600 square feet. Wow. Uh, it's, we're, we're definitely becoming minimalists. Um, we moved here from Oli. Um, we had a three bedroom, uh, stone farmhouse. Um, My dream. and we loved Oli. I always say yes. if you're this place, we would go back to Oli. Um, but this house, I'm so happy to be here for the first time in my life. I feel like I have a purpose. Um, this property has been here for 121 years. Wow. Um, it's a tiny little stone cottage in the woods. And it used to be part, well, it wasn't part of Eggleman Park, but we live within the park. So you're settled within that park, which I have no, like, I have no um, perspective of that. I know the pagoda, basically, and I know, like, West Reading. <laughs> so I live, I live, um within the park that the pagoda basically sits in. Okay, now that's awesome. It makes a lot of sense. I gotta get Dave Klein over there. <laughs> I would love to meet him. I listened to that podcast the other day. He's totally like my I'm, spirit <laughs> He is your spirit, yes. You two would, I think it would be wonderful. This property is just like incredible. Um, when we bought it, it sat vacant for 10 years. Uh, the roof was bad. When my husband and some friends were fixing the roof, I replastered the entire inside. Um, there's pictures of me in like a hazmat suit and like wow. ventilator. And I'm in here just like chiseling old dirty plaster out of the stone mm -hmm. and out off the walls and uh, sanding it down. And I mean, so we got married April 14th, but we bought this place April 13th. And my husband and I were going to elope. Wow. Yeah, my husband and I were going to elope, and then our mothers found out. And I've never been so sad <laughs> in my life when my mom sat there in front of me and cried. She's like, I just want to see Aww. you get married. I'm like, oh, for Christ's sakes. Okay, so we got married <laughs> on the 14th. And as we got married, we were like, we have a surprise. We bought a house. Everybody come to our house. So we move in. Well, we didn't move in. You that's my kind of wedding, by the way, Sarah. That's yeah. my kind of wedding. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we did basically too. We brought everybody to our house. Um, and that same day as the wedding. 
Yeah, the same day as the wedding. That's and nobody so cool. knew. Yeah, yeah. Well, to us it was cool. I'm sure to everybody else, they were like, oh, great house. But then they, you know, everybody's were taking pictures and everybody gets here and we're like, okay, so the lady was a hoarder and a hermit, and you all are gonna help us <laughs> carry all this stuff out of the house. You see that dumpster over there? That's where it's going. And everybody was like, of course you guys would do this. Like you can't yes. even moment to get married you're already no. back you guys so, must be pennsylvania dutch <laughs> yeah <laughs> just a little uh, no. that's very funny so see the mothers forced you to get married proper and then they had to get to work that's right yep that's right that's so, really funny it was hilarious everybody was actually really excited which i was kind of like taken aback by you know oh, that's like, cool yeah um, so everybody's running through the house, opening all the windows. Keep in mind that the upstairs has windows that are 120 years old in them. Wow. And this place what, sat- what, this was April? This was April. Was it on a warmer, warmer yeah, April actually, day? It was like 74 degrees or something. It was like the perfect. Wow. Day. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes April can be tricky. Yeah. <laughs> 120 year old windows. Oh my yeah. God. So they go to open the windows upstairs <laughs> and the windows fall out of the house onto some <laughs> of the guests <laughs> below. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm like out the window, like, is everybody okay? Oh my God. Like, and the kids are standing there like, oh, dad. And I'm like, oh my God, we almost killed the kids. <laughs> oh my God. That is a very funny story. And these are old windows. So these are not like the unbreakable glass. This no. is like legit. That's oh. thick, crazy glass. Yeah. yeah. I mean, bubble wow. glass and everything. It was so sad when the window came out of the house, but they needed replaced. You know, the do whole you think it's the woman. Do you think the woman that lived there before, has she gone? Has she passed? Yeah, she's gone. Do you yeah, think she was gone. welcoming you? <laughs> or do you, do you feel welcomed by her spirit? I do actually. Good. Um, good. That's very important surely in an old an old cottage. Talking about that, when we bought the house from her estate, it was the neighbor that called my in-laws and said, "Hey, the neighbors call this house the Hobbit house, by the way." Wow. Adam and I Hensel and Gretel, which I was like, "We're not brother and sister." Like that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so, the neighbor um, I say a neighbor, but you can't see him. Like we live kind of sure. very um, the neighbor over the hill from us uh, used to be the caretaker, old man Ray. Oh wow! Yeah. So when the place sat vacant, he would come over and make sure like nobody was vandalizing or breaking in or, or squatting or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's he awesome. I didn't mean to interrupt your um, wedding story. Though I want to hear the rest of that, but I just wanted to to kind of ask you that because that's sort of like a very terrible situation to happen, but it looks like, um, you know, from, from everything that I see that you all are very great stewards of the land. So I'm sure she's honored by that. If she yeah. cared for this land a lot. So when Ray called to let us know that the house was going up for sale at some point and asked us if we were interested, I actually came over that day with Ray and my husband and he showed us the house and I stepped outside and, you know, like you just have those moments where like the air feels really calm and everything around, yes. you know, the birds stop singing and 
I like mm-hmm. got a little eared out and I like, you know, I kind of got the, I call it the icky bickies when I feel like something's like trying to talk to me or someone's trying to talk to me and I'm standing there and I'm like, uh, Dorothy, I really hope that this is okay with you. I understand that you had just passed today and, and, or yesterday and oh, this wow. soon for you. And I just want to make sure that you moving on are comfortable with this. And like, I, I, and I said this outside in our evergreen forest, we're surrounded by evergreens and you're um, going to make me cry. That's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> I, I said to her, I, I promise I'll try and maintain this place the best I can. And it was like the wind had changed. Like the moment I said that, and I was, I mm-hmm. felt welcomed. And there have been a couple of times where my husband and I have been working outside in the, in the woods Mm-hmm. And my husband, when I met him, was not really a believer of this. I mean, he he had like, you know, he thought that, you know, people come and like watch over you and protect you and that kind of thing, but not to the extent of like people like visiting you, you know? Yeah. And uh, he, we came inside from working outside and um, the house smelled like cigarettes. Now we don't smoke. And I had to clean her sewing room up and I'm a, I'm an avid sewer. Like I love mm-hmm. to, sew. I love to sew and I had to clean her, her sewing area out and she stashed, she bought bulk of these like 1940s breath fresheners. I'm not <laughs> even kidding. Like still in the metal tins, like this woman was using this stuff up until like 10 years before she had passed. Wow. Like they told, the neighbors told me that, um, she was like a banker. Her and her husband were bankers. I, it was crazy, but she, wow. she ended up being kind of like a hermit after her husband passed away. And she was stuck in like the 1940s. She was also a cold war veteran, which was incredible to me. She was a, a field nurse. Oh, really? This woman was like incredible. Like I'm, I'm learning about her. As Sarah, you have to write a little, a little novel about her and, and oh. her work through your work or whatever. Like that would be so interesting to yeah. hear. I don't know what why I said novel, but something would be neat just to write, like maybe even you know a piece or an essay. That's very cool. Yeah, I kept all of her like, um, you know, her letters from the military, and yeah, That's I just mean. to me, like I hang on to her. And Charles was her husband. Like I have little pictures of them in my house, and like little That's she awesome. cut out of her husband who used to be a bodybuilder as well, and he's Ooh. and a spitter. I know, and he's like in this little swimsuit and like flexing his muscles, and she's got pictures of him, and she cut him out and like put him on a piece of wood, so it's like Aww. a three D cut out of him. So I have Charles in my window. Yeah, well, sure, you're honoring them, so I'm sure they're very happy to have you there, and they're not going to do anything, you know, yeah. like oh, a negative yeah. energy. That's very yeah. cool. But Adam had a moment when we walked in the house and it smelled like cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Like, Why does it smell like smoke in here? Is somebody in here? And then he stopped and I watched his eyes tear up and he goes, Dorothy's here, isn't she? And I smiled and I wow. said, yeah. is she mad at us? And I said, not at all. Oh, like, you know, so we do feel very welcomed by her and she does. That's I awesome. Like she pops in every once in a while, but not lately. That was within like, right. I'd say like a couple weeks after her death. And then like the transition period, probably, you know, like, yeah. Wow. Um, So do you feel like her, the, the home was really, was really special to her? I mean, my grandmother was a hoarder. So I know it's interesting because you think of people, if you don't know hoarders, um, as like not caring a lot about their property, but it's actually the reverse. It's like an obsession compulsion with, with inanimate objects. And it's really interesting because she like would not talk about 
witchcraft or 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 anything like putting um energies into inanimate objects but clearly she felt that way my grandmother so I wonder about that um because it was almost like the the things inside the home were just as precious as like family or the home itself so I think after yeah. her husband passed away she really hung on to a lot of things because she didn't yeah anymore. And I think she loved this. Well, I know that she did because when she was in the home, she had fallen here and broken her hips. Oh, mm -hmm. Um, and the neighbor was the one that took her to the hospital. So, oh wow, she as she stayed in the home for ten years, um, the neighbor when he would go visit her, she'd always say, "I'm I'm getting close to coming home. I just want to go home." So that hurt my heart when I heard that. Like that makes me tear. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, she was like, her and her husband were in love with this place. I mean, you can see it in the work that they've done here. And I have pictures because I had to empty their house. I kept all their pictures. So I have pictures oh, wow. of this house from when they first purchased it in 1957. No way. Yes. You need to make a collection of all of these, um, things that you've compiled and put it into like a book about your property as part of like marketing or something. It's very <laughs> cool. And not marketing in a really corny way, but as in like, you know, the reason that the products that you have there are so, so valuable and so magical, you know, to I me, love that. To me, I feel like I'm just the steward of this place. Like it's yeah. been here long after I'm gone, you know, and yes, there's so, so much work I, my husband and I have to put into it. I can't say I, because if it weren't for him, I, this place would look like shit <laughs> yeah. I can't so much by myself um yeah. but um yeah it's, she really loved the place we really love the place and the history here is just absolutely incredible and it is so so mind-blowing and sad to me that the city of Reading, that mm. is on a monopoly game that everyone plays is falling to the wayside when it comes yes. to there was so much going on up in these mountains. So this house was part of the Gravity Railroad. And okay. as it butts up against uh, Mineral Springs, the S Mineral Springs Park was actually used as a campground. So people would leave the city in the summertime because it was hot and the sewer systems weren't right. And it just wasn't a good place to be. You know, there wasn't a lot of public water back then. So people would come up here and they would camp out and spend their summers here. And there was the Gravity Railroad. And the Gravity Railroad Trail still exists here and you can follow it for miles. And, and there's little plaques all throughout the woods that explain all the little places that were here, but they don't explain every single place that was here. Right. These woods were full of little cottages like this. If you step off the beaten path, you find old wine cellars in like the sides of the hills here, old foundations to cottages that looked a hell of a lot smaller than this place. <laughs> Springs that pop up that you can tell were hand dug. I have two wells on my property that were hand dug. Um, this place was incredible. I mean, you would come up here for the summer with your family and you would basically get on the drunk bus, which was the train. And you would go <laughs> to, you would go to Kugler's Roost, which was a Swiss style Alp, uh, like Swiss style, um, 
uh, like ski resort, but you weren't skiing. You were there drinking and having fun and had a hotel and like probably gambling because hell, why not? I know the Liederkranz had a, a, an illegal gambling ring in it before it was the Liederkranz. There's still old <laughs> poker tables from the 1800s up in that place. Oh like, my gosh. It's, it's the history up here is so rich and it is yeah. literally taken over by Mother Nature. I, it blows my mind. Like we have this grand cobblestone staircase that went to the gravity railroad which stopped in front of our house wow people would get off the gravity railroad and they would set up their campsites and they would come up to our house and what we call the chicken coop was a little like one or two story luncheonette and people would come up here and they'd get their popcorn and their matches and their newspaper and their water and i still to this very day find little Listerine bottles from like 1908 all over in like I'm digging up here like planning stuff and I'm like oh there's a Listerine bottle with the label on it still how is this happening you know and so um, cool so people come up here and buy their supplies and um there are campfires and little campsites all throughout the woods in here so if you're ever hiking up here you can see and there's wells every woods up here so you really do have to be careful when you step off the beaten path because um, you're not the- talking about a well that's like built up. Actually, I've been reading a lot about wells. Um, Sharon Blackie's work, they talk about the well maidens a lot. And we're not talking about structural wells. We're talking about just holes. Just right. That's hole why you're saying you have to be careful. Yes. I'm just learning about this because I told you, I'm like, I was born in the burbs, man. I am. This is all new to me. And my ass would be the one to fall in the damn well walking around. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. What do you mean? There's no brick. Like you don't see it from far away. That is fascinating. That is so cool. And uh, across the railroad from us used to be a winery. And from what I've gathered in my historical adventures, trying to figure out exactly what this place was used for was my place would grow apples and grapes and would provide the winery across the railroad with apples and grapes to make wine and apple champagne. So apple champagne was really popular up here. I believe it was the Kedish family, but I could be wrong that owned uh, the property across from us. So I think their family was the one that may have done the apple champagne. Um, But like I said, I could be wrong because the history is a little like convoluted up here. Um, Right. And uh, everybody's in line between history and um, folklore, you know, exactly. Invented history. Yeah, invented. I prefer the latter, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it's really neat. And, and there was uh, Reiniger's, um, which was a very famous Pennsylvania winery that also followed the gravity trail, um, which is now Walter's uh, floral farm. They're no longer in production, but um you know, that's a really neat historical place up here too. And, and it's, it's incredible. Like these places that I'm, that I talk about like Kugler's Roost, that's no longer here. That burnt down in a fire. Most of the places up here burnt down in fires back during prohibition. So I think when prohibition happened, a lot of people really Mm -hmm. struggled up here. And I think the railroad probably did because they were struggling as well. So a lot of places burnt down. And that was also when they were putting electricity into places too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they could have actually been electrical fires. Um, mm-hmm. When we were exploring this place, we did find some fire damage here from old electrical wires. Um, oh, wow. 
So we were lucky that this place didn't burn down. Um, you guys have rewired it though. So we've done, so our neighbor is a certified electrician. Oh, the city of nice. Reading is terrible to deal with, by the way. I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure. really tough. And I don't blame them because when you drive sure. down into the city, these old houses and they look terrible. I, yes. I understand why they are so strict. Um, mm -hmm. But our, our neighbor and a friend who was also a friend of his that was a certified electrician came up and basically redid our whole whole house and updated our electrical units. Oh, that's awesome. It really needed to be done. There was wiring in here from the 30s and 40s. Yeah, our house is older too. But um, yeah, they the person that owned it before us, who was only here for like three or five years, um, she did all new wiring. But we did have one issue and it like smelled and it terrified me. <laughs> but um. Well, I mean, honestly, Sarah, I'm working on this book for History Press, it's called, and they do these historical books. I'm sure you've seen them before. Like, you know, you and I have a connection to Philadelphia. They have one like for Kensington and it's like all old history. This all sounds like you're ready to make this kind of book. I mean, it's very cool. And it doesn't have to be like all historical facts. They actually enjoy um, it's called historical narrative, what they're making me turn my thesis into, which is like a really tough shift because I had to turn like my blabbering on into scholarly writing. And then now I have to shift it back to narrative. I think I'm not even, I'm not even playing. I think this is all fascinating. I loved your story. And I think people in this area are so hungry for this kind of um, connection and also like representation, because as you mentioned, um, I think Redding's done such a disservice to uh, the history and the historical aspects of, of these areas in this property. Like I was blown away when you told me about your property and also, um, you know, factory agriculture has shifted the landscape for all farming and it's really, uh, you know, the subsidies and all that mess, uh, has really changed the way that farming is done. And I think people like you and people like your neighbors who were, I mean, it's almost like it was serendipitous that the property was meant for you guys. Someone called you and had you come out. Um, but, people like you stewards of this land that it's not just like being a steward of the land. It's like completely revitalizing this land and, and honoring all of, all of its past. I just think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story and a beautiful project. And I know it's hard work because we just have done very, like very minimal amounts of uh, renovations. And this is like very tough stuff and it's really incredible work you guys are doing, you and Adam. And I think it's a story that you should consider like, getting out there. Cause I think there'd be a lot of interest. I know I'm going to hook you up with Dave Klein and he's going to be all over this. He will love this and, and hold, hold you up and support you in any way he can. You know, he worked for a long time with the Reading Eagle and I'm sure can help you find um, some more information, maybe where you're, where you're having some gaps in your, um, in the actual historical facts. But I'll tell you what, this, this na historical narrative is very interesting because you get to have a little wiggle room and there's some play with what's invented and what's that's exciting to some readers, you know, to have that inventedness and magical aspects. But yeah, I just wanted to stop you for a moment and let you know, like I'm eating all this up and I'm seeing it like come together in a book with all your artifacts. I just think it's a really beautiful story and your journey to finding the land and then your work with the land. It's very cool. My journey, our journey here was a, a kind of a rough one. We had a, yeah. a car accident, like a very bad car accident um, about five or six years ago. So keep in mind, we're doing all this stuff and I'm still, my husband and I are still dealing with injuries and I am still in and out of doctor's offices dealing with mine mm. because injuries weren't found. Um, wow. so 
it's been really hard, but it's been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I, I have literally, I have a hoe in my hand and I am trying to pull invasive Burberry out and wow. people to get gross space set up. And I know that I should just be, you know, throw a cloth or whatever over the periwinkle and just snuff it out. But I'm like, I, so my family's from Sicily, my dad's side, and yes, we are girl, just into it. driven people. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I wanted it done right then and there in the worst way and nothing was going to stop me. And I am <laughs> in pain, trying to rip this stuff out. And my husband's like, you need to calm down and take a breather. And I like turn around and I'm like, no, <laughs> I will get this done today. <laughs> right. Sounds familiar. <laughs> I actually broke one of the tines on my like hand hoe and my husband is a welder. <laughs> so like I hand it to him and I'm like, you need to fix this. And he's like, oh my God. <laughs> to go calm down <laughs> that is so funny only oh my gosh because you know I know the Pennsylvania Dutch very well and all that is encompassing my experience of my familial Pennsylvania Dutch stubbornness um but um you are so interesting to me when you shared with me your your background your heritage because Dave Klein is also Sicilian and Pennsylvania Dutch and it's just like such a good cocktail man I love it <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're definitely a different breed. I'll, I'll give you it's that. When, I, cool. when you told me that and then I listened to the podcast, I was like, oh my God, I have to meet this guy. Like, you sure do. He is an incredible person. I mean, you will just love him and he will love this story. I, I, I'm sure within his huge body of work, he's run across these stories before. Yeah, we don't have a lot of equi equipment. I mean, we have a little Kubota um, that has a dump bed. Uh, that kind of helps us out. Um, I used to have, or I used to uh, work in tree removal. So I have experience of taking down trees and I have a bunch of climbing ropes here and saws. And so my husband and I, when we combined our brains together, we can basically do anything. And, and um, our idea here, going back to like what we're trying to do with this place is we don't want to take away from what's already here. I want to, we want to restore this place back to its original time period as best as we can. We cannot find photos of this place at all. So if I can find anybody with Oh, a put your feelers out. We're going to get you photos, honey, because you've got to get this book together. I will help you. I'm sure and there's I, photos. I've been down to the historical society. There's a woman that used to come into the German club that would bring me little articles. And I have a really good friend who lives... Uh, down the way from me who has found like articles about our house being rented out in the summertime like in 19 like 11 looking for a summer house attendant so like they would hire people this house was built for um uh this this gentleman and I cannot remember his name right now which I should have looked all this up before I even said oh no that. that's fine or or like something it might have been called in the past because I know newspapers.com it's there been incredible for me. Place. There wasn't. Okay, what was the name? I heard it one time before. It had magnolia in it, and I've never heard it again. Oh, wow. And Do you have a magnolia tray? I have no idea. There's no magnolias here. I don't know. And I don't know if that's correct. This was just somebody right. that was trying to dig, dig for something of my property, like to find me something. So the idea of doing the hard work instead of taking the easy path, I think, 
is also, again, a way for you to um, be a steward of your land and you're connected to your connectedness to your land. What, I, what I'd like to know about, um, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, was more about how you came to Iron Rabbit Run and, and the work that you're trying to, um, to kind of navigate and begin um, within working with plants and herbs. And also um, just kind of the background behind the name, because you just mentioned um, there is a connection to Angora um, with your property and, you know, how that, how that naming came about, because I love, I love all things iron and all things rabbit. So (laughs) So, we, it it was kind of odd. Like it took us a really long time to find a name for this place. Um, Nothing seemed to fit right. Um, I, I have a wooden rabbit that I care that I have in my car um, that I've had in my car for years. And it's kind of like a superstitious thing. Like rabbits are kind of, I guess one of my totem animals you know, they're always yes. there and right in the beginning of something, you know? Yes. Um, and they're always there when I feel like I need a little bit of guidance, but they're always there in the beginning of something. Mm. And, um, I just, we live off of Angora Road and I just wanted it to play in to the name of the road. I also wanted it to, this place just feels so magical and natural mm. to me. And I wanted, I wanted it to be powerful and steadfast, but I wanted it to be natural and beautiful and and graceful. And I, like I said, I wanted to play into the name of Angora. And um, I, like I said, I have this rabbit and I look at this rabbit and I'm like, my husband's an iron worker, a welder and a blacksmith. Nice. There's the iron part. And at first I was like the iron rabbit. And I'm like, it hit me. I was cleaning somebody's house. So I have a tiny little cleaning business that I do on the side to make a living um, <clears throat> because I'm not making a living off this farm right now. Um, right. So I'm like vacuuming somebody's house. I have my earbuds in and all of a sudden I like pull the earbuds out and my client's home and I'm like, I got it. Like I said it really loud, you know, and he's just like, what do you got? What do you got? And I'm like, name, I got the name. <laughs> And uh, I told him, I was like, what do you think of the iron rabbit? And he's like, that's actually pretty suiting for you guys. That's and I was very like, yeah. good. And then I call my husband, who's like, you know, probably 70 feet up in the air erecting steel. And I'm like, hey, honey bear, guess what I did? I think I figured out the name. And like, he's like, oh, great. You know? And then I tell him, he's like, that's perfect. Like, yeah. that's absolutely perfect. He's like, you're like the rabbit, you know what I mean? And I'm the iron guy, like the iron rabbits, like we're both strong and, and like, you know, adaptable and quick. And I'm like, yes. So yeah. yeah, That's awesome. And iron is a very magical metal, by the way. Yes. Very magical. I'm sure you know that, but um, I wanted to mention that because I always, it's like a go-to, you know, iron's very magical and rabbits are very magical for sure. The run comes from, well, Iron Rabbit was already taken. Run actually was just kind of thrown in there because we were discussing on how, so originally we were discussing on how this property is like really magical to us. And we feel like we're stepping, we're like falling down the rabbit hole into like some Alice in Wonderland, um, you know, like world. So that was that was kind of how... Uh, run kind of came to be because I mean 
it just kind of fit perfect because that's what we feel like we're doing is like we're just making a run for it. That's where it came from. The one thing I want most out of this is I want the city to have a little piece of its history back. Yes. Um, And I want people to realize that you can farm and not have a hundred acres. Yeah. You homestead and not even have five acres. You, if you mm-hmm. do it right, you can make $30,000 off of an acre. And that's just with produce, you know, and that's not counting livestock, which I, I don't really plan to have livestock, maybe some chickens. Um, my husband really wants goats. So maybe chickens and goats. We'll see if the, how long the city will let, <laughs> let us. Um <laughs> But I I want to take these woods because these woods up here are in what's called a second growth stage. So the trees are really coming into their own. And we have some oaks here that are well over 100 plus years old. Um, wow. And our evergreen forest that surrounds our house, I know, is about 100 years old, just from pictures that I've seen. Um, so what I would like to do is because we are taken over by an invasive species up here, like the mountains really dealing with Burberry in a very hard way, Japanese. Oh, wow. So I've been removing this stuff for two years now and it is the worst. (laughs) It does awful benefits, but it it is like uh, yellow root is, it's just, it's, it's like mint. Like it's got all those rhizomes and it spreads out. Yes. Yes. In a bush out here. here, but it's like two feet over. There's another bush it's connected to, so it's not just one bush and done. It's like I got to take mm-hmm. like a whole football field's worth of Burberry out, literally. Um, right. So my idea is to bring this beautiful forest and regenerate it and provide it with natural uh, native species that have existed here before this forest was clear cut. Right. 150 years ago, however long ago it was. Um, so I've been introducing golden seal and black and blue cohosh and, um, you know, just like your normal, like saladego along the roadside and, and just, and things like that. I, I, I want people to realize that you're walking in abundance when you come up here. Like I'm, I mushroom forage up here. My, I, Oh my God, the one day I didn't even leave my house and I gathered 50 pounds of chicken on the woods. Like Mm. springtime is my favorite. You walk the woods around here and there's morels everywhere. I'm like, look at all the magic just (laughs) popping up everywhere. Like this is great, you know? And we live in such trying times and there's Mm. so much need for, especially in a city for food, like good fresh Mm -hmm. food. My idea my 10 year mark with this place is I would like to get what we call the chicken coop, which was the luncheonette restored. And I would like to make it a kitchen. I'm a chef by trade. So uh, what I want to do is bring people in so they can grow their own tomato sauce garden or salsa garden or herb patch. So they can like zest up their cooking and also heal themselves because food is medicine and people are missing, you know, Um, And and I want to teach people how to start a seed, plant a seed, get your garden going, 
and learn how to make food with it and then also put it up, like preserve it. So these are all yeah. things that I grew up doing. Um, mm-hmm. my, father, my father was a farrier. He put shoes on horses. Um, and we were homesteaders growing up. And my dad had the bright idea to ask one of his customers who were all Amish if they would babysit us during the day. So like I grew up doing all of this. My dad would drop us off at like four o'clock in the morning. My sister and I would be baking bread at like 5 a.m. <laughs> yes. like breakfast on the table for a family of 15. Um, and then, you know, because my dad was a farrier, we also trained and rescued horses in Lancaster County and Chester County. So the Amish actually learned to allow us girls to basically go do what the boys were doing because we were training their horses. So what, you know, they have the person here that trained their horses, you know, and my dad yeah. and I were hearing stories the other night about like my sister and I racing mules, like how he pulled up into the client's house. These were the, uh, Mr. And Mrs. King, Amos King was his name or Amos was his son. I apologize. Um, Mr. And Mrs. King, and we're like, my dad pulls up to pick us up and we're on these massive mules. And all you hear is, yeah, 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 yeah. And my sister and I are like staring at each other, racing through the field. <laughs> and the girl that babysat us, her name was Esther King. And I will forever in my life think of her with such beautiful memories. She was deaf. She taught us sign language wow. and Dutch. Oh, and stop. She is on the mule behind us. She cannot catch up. And all you hear is, (laughs) "Ah!" because she can't like, she can't hear herself, you know? So she's trying to get us to stop. She's like signing, signing to stop. And like, we get, I I, I ride up to my dad with these mules, my sister and I. And he said, we came to an abrupt stop. And there was like dust billowing off the backs of these huge mules. (laughs) My dad's like, oh my God, you, you can't, you can't do that to these people's horses. And poor Mr. King comes out of the field and he's like, Richie, I really hope that it's okay. I let them do this. I really hope it's okay. And my dad's like, well, if they can do it, let them do it. He goes, I know these girls are capable. I just don't want to make you mad, Mr. Kluge. You know? And it was like, oh, the, the memories I had as a child were just I want to, I want to give that, I want to give that to like the city. I was probably like seven, six or seven. Yeah. That's incredible. That's just. (laughs) My sister and I. I see the illustration right away. I'm sorry. I'm just like. No, you're good. My (laughs) My sister and I are both the same type of wild. I was just talking about this with my dad and like my dad was always really good at allowing us girls to be wild. My mother too. Yeah. It wasn't. That's awesome. They like that. You know, they like that thinking for ourselves and able to maintain ourselves in sketchy situations. My dad was always like, I can't believe I can put you guys on these very green horses and you're doing better than I would. You know, and my sister still Mm -hmm. has a horse farm to this very day. She still rescues horses. She's like a total. Does she? Oh, that's so cool. So you grew up. Like, I'm not really sure where you grew up. I know you mentioned Westchester and Lancaster County or Chester County. I'm sorry. Did you grow up in that area? Yes. Our old homestead where my mom still lives. My parents have divorced. Um, where my mom still lives. Uh, she lives actually right on the Lancaster-Chester County border. She's considered Chester County, but across the street is Lancaster. Okay. So 
Gotcha. Um, and what what is the town called? I know that area a little bit, but I'm not sure where that would be. Like Gap, Gap, Pennsylvania. Oh right yeah, sure. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we grew up out there. Um, I was I lived out there till I was about 15 or 16, and then I moved with my dad, who had a 26 acre horse farm on the foothills of the Appalachian Mountain in Cumberland County. Wow. So he went to Cumberland and that's where your sister is. Yeah. Now is she in the same property that he was, that you were just speaking about? Oh, she just purchased a, a farm out there actually this year. Um, she's been wow. working her butt off to get money put up for this place. That's awesome. Like I said, she's a bomb. Congratulations star. to her. Yeah, seriously. Um, it's just, you know, I, I want to bring that back to people because like, I tell these stories to like my friends or friends of friends, you know, and they're like, we've never done anything like that as a child. Right. I have no idea how to plant a tomato, you know, and, and it like kind of hurts my heart. Cause it's like, sure. I've, never, I've never felt more free, you know, like mm-hmm. hanging tobacco. Like I, I, we used to, they used to let us spike and hang tobacco as kids with the Amish kids and stuff. And mm-hmm. I talk about these experiences and having to pull all the lacks out of the barn and how you couldn't leave the horse, the horses, the team of horses in the barn when you were trying to unload tobacco. And it was like, they didn't want any women in there. They didn't want us girls in there. That was like the only time my sister and I weren't allowed in the barn. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's just, I want to, I feel like we're losing, we're losing touch with really what is so important. And we're like binging on all these things that aren't. I don't know. I, w- I want to bring that back. And I don't want to watch something as beautiful and as sacred as this place feels to kind of fall to the wayside. And to me, I don't know, like growing up with my Sicilian family, one of my first memories, and I mean literally one of my first memories as a child, was my dad took me to my great-grandmother and great-grandfather's house who were off the boat, didn't speak very good English. Um, and uh, they were trying to tell me in Italian that the food that they had in their pantry came from their garden. And here's this like 80-some-year-old woman. She's all hunched over and she goes, come here, come here, you know? And she grabs my hand and she goes, manja, manja, like trying to tell me to eat. And I have no idea what she's saying. And she's like opening jars of jelly and letting me try. And she's like telling me what the fruit is in Italian. And I have no idea what she's saying. (laughs) And my grandfather, it was like a light went off when I was little. He grabbed the jar of uh, grape jelly and he grabbed a bottle of wine. They were like avid winemakers. And he kept saying, vino, vino, trying to tell me wine, wine. And then he'd go and grab a grape. And then he'd like try and force it into my mouth. And then finally he takes me outside and he holds the grape jelly up and the grape wine. And he goes, this comes from this. And it was like, whoa, I can like grow grapes and eat them. Like that's a thing. Like that's where our food comes from. And it was like such a liberating moment. And it has really reflected in everything that I've done because food is just such a sacred and big thing in my life. Um, You're an artist and you do all these beautiful folk art uh, paintings and hex signs. And like, that's your expression of love and self and mine is food. Mm, you know, yeah. Mine is totally food. And as a chef, 
in the industry as it is today, or Mm. even as it was 10 years ago, it's like life sucking. I'm certain people like food that I have no idea where it comes from. They're from these Mm. giant purveyors. Uh, You know, they have these standardized price lists. And And it doesn't even taste like food anymore. You know what I'm saying? There's like a taste. My husband thinks I'm insane. I was like, this kale from the store does not taste like our kale. Like, what the fuck did they do to this kale? What did they do to my kale? Because I'm like, dude. And he just thinks I'm so full of shit. But I'm like, no, they're literally like scientifically changing food so that it doesn't even taste like the food tasted, like the original food. It's just so bananas. It, it's um, I, it's I, so crazy. So you got out of that then because it was such a conflict with what you what you feel inside and and your infirm your informed practice from that very visceral vis- visceral very visual expression from your grandfather that's very cool so did you get out of the industry because of that it was just so hard the the conflict i originally got out of the industry because of it because and also because as a chef you work 60 to 80 hours a week you don't have time off i had a moment where i was driving into one of my kitchens and i didn't remember getting there I drove a long way down a one way. I had a woman screaming at me on the sidewalk and I just like pulled over and I was like, I haven't slept in days. Like what in the fuck am I doing? Like I literally had this moment, like, what am I doing? I'm feeding people bad food. I'm feeding myself bad food. I'm not taking care of myself. I'm working myself down to nothing. And Mm. for what? Because I enjoy making people happy with a meal. Like there's gotta be better way to this. I, I got out of originally for that. And then when I moved up here, I fell in love with the Reading Leader Crons. Um, <laughs> My husband Dave is also a member, by the way. You guys must have run into each other at some point. We probably have, but yeah. I, I, when I, um, so I worked there for two or three years actually before I took the kitchen over. Oh, um, cool! I took the kitchen over when their head chef Marlies had left, um, and I literally did it only because I got a call from the president at the time who was Mm -hmm. very upset. And she was like, we're going to have to close the doors. I don't have anybody, but some volunteers that can make hamburgers and hot dogs. Like nobody knows recipes. Like what am I supposed to do? And I was like, listen, I just like, I was getting over my car accident and I made the decision. This wasn't what I wanted to do. And I had a cleaning business that was doing pretty good at the time. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, like this part-time job that I had with all these people that felt like family to me. I just did not want to let go of that. Yeah. And I want to see the German club close its doors because I feel like once again, there's this beautiful history that comes along with Reading, Pennsylvania, that is just being swept under the rug like it doesn't exist anymore. And it very much is alive up here. You know, um, my husband and family. My husband's not from Germany, but his father's family is from Stuttgart, Germany. Wow. And I'm just like sitting here like I'm letting go of everything. You know what I mean? Like I I can't watch this place close. So I stepped in and took over the Liederkranz. And that's awesome. And to be honest, I worked my butt off there. I was there every single day like I was before in most places, but I was so in love with Sarah, let me ask you, um, have you done anything with the Evergreen Evergreen Club over in Oli? Because Dave is super involved over there, too. You must no, know what I'm talking about. Do you know, oh my gosh, the Evergreen Club in Oli. Um, oh, yes. 
I've heard German club. Yes. What am I saying? Is it only, am I just calling it the wrong place? We did an event there. He had like a music fest and we vended it in a very cool place. Um, I actually have heard of the evergreen. I'm sorry. I uh, totally. No, that's cool. No, I'm just wondering if you guys just on a side note might be interested in checking it out sometime. My family came here. My mother's side is Pennsylvania Dutch and Scots Irish. Um, my father is Sicilian and well, Sicilian French and German. Um, yes. <laughs> many languages were spoken in my house on both sides. My mm-hmm. mother, my great grandmother spoke fluent Pennsylvania Dutch. My mother can understand it and speak a little bit. My babysitters were Dutch. My dad's side spoke Italian and French. And my husband's family spoke German. So, and I grew up with my husband, by the way. I keep referencing that. Like, oh, know, yeah. It was that. I grew up with my husband. His, his mother and my mother are our best of friends. So, that's so to, cool. To me, like growing up with the Italian section in Philadelphia and the German mm-hmm. section and the Irish section, um, there was always this sense of diversity everywhere I went. And it does not scare me at all, you know? Um, and to watch all these clubs come up with damage, like the Lancaster club and the Reading leader Kranz really struggling. And I know the Polish club in Phoenixville was struggling for a while. It's just like all these really cool heritage sites that people just kind of like overlook. You walk into these places and you hear people speaking German, you know, you hear people speaking other languages. And I miss that so much. I'm like, this city is, is full, full, full of diversity. And mm-hmm. it just, it like hurts my heart to watch it all go away. Cause I feel like yeah. it is, it is kind of all disappearing. And, you know, if you live in these local areas and you know, of these clubs, you should go visit them, you know, yes. because a lot of them don't and participate. Have, yeah. A lot of these places yeah. don't have the kitchens and the choruses and, and the dance dance uh like um clubs that they used to have you know mm-hmm. and i mean go out there and look like a dweeb and go learn something for Christ's sake. get off your <laughs> minecraft and go like honestly <laughs> well it's interesting i wrote a couple notes while you were talking um just about what your your goal and vision is for the property and what you'd like to do as far as educating the community and making it like a community space where people can interact with how to grow food and how to and and I think what's so interesting because I was a teacher in inner city Philadelphia I was an art teacher and what's so interesting to me and through other conversations with people I'm just talking about uh, urban areas is that they don't have this knowledge and having something so close that you could even like host field trips like small you know small field trips about just learning how like homesteading and with it being so accessible, I think it's such a gift and you have a great vision, I think, and plan. Um, I, any way we can all get behind you and help you out. I think, um, you definitely should do the book. (laughs) I just want to go to the area and like look and, and, and absorb the place, which I wish I could have done before we finished the logo, but I felt I had enough gleaned from your experience and you're a wonderful storyteller by the way Sarah yes you you are an amazing creative chef and that's your calling but you have a great way with words and wonderful storytelling your book will probably get done before mine does (laughs) but I wanted to mention um number one it's not too late like you mentioned it is dying 
people have no freaking idea where their food is coming from, but there's a huge revolution. Fortunately, I'm, I'm part of that in, in that we went vegan and there's a huge amount of, of people backing this, this revolution of like knowing where their food is. And we also do food, not lawns because we have this beautiful English landscaped, um, gorgeous home here in Boyertown. And we just, I was like, we got to plant food. So it's all ripped up. We have gardens everywhere. It's amazing. So there's food, not lawns, which is a great initiative. And then also, um, what was I just saying? There's a lot of education about health and, and balance and food. However, you know, the agro industry, the dairy industry, they have a lot of power politically, but I think there's enough momentum. I think people would really get behind your idea and your, and your place. And if you did revive this um, kitchenette, I think it would be a lovely idea. I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm cheering you on girl. And I'm, I got your back with this and um, whatever we can do to help support you. I wanted to ask you two things. Where can people follow you? And then just one more note about what you said. Um, we live and operate in a completely made up world. So even right now, we're on the web, we're con we're connecting in this way that is both a gift and a huge curse, right? So what I have seen in the ethers of um, really taking in the whole experience of pandemic is people, surprisingly enough, have put down their phones more often, have put down their devices and their video games and are actually seeking connectedness to nature, which is a beautiful gift through this. I hope it continues once we sort of wrap back around to more normalcy, but I don't see normalcy coming anytime soon. I think the new normal is kind of more exciting. My husband and I have really enjoyed this time at home and the quiet of it. Um, but I think it's a really great time for you to be sort of moving these wheels as slow as it might be like towards that idea. I love your idea of not only being a steward of the land for yourself and the history, but also paying it forward to the next generation exactly. and sharing this. I, I love it. It's beautiful. As an, as a teacher, it just makes me so happy. I work at a Montessori school and I'd be like, let's go take our field trip to Iron Rabbit Run, babies. <laughs> like, it's it's such a wonderful idea. I just love it. And I, I love all things that you talked about. And I think you guys are doing a fantastic job paying um, homage to this land. And, and Reading needs this kind of love. You know, you don't hear. A lot of people are really turned off and scared um, to even kind of try and come at it and get in there. Um, Reading I'm is hook a you tough up. city. It is a tough city. Girl, I'm I hook up with Dave Philadelphia and Reading is okay. a tough city. <laughs> Me too, honey. Guess what? I'm I'm going to be the first to tell you I avoid Reading at all costs. And honey, I spend time in the Badlands in Philly. I'm <laughs> like, and it is, it's, it is a scary place for me. I'm not going to lie to you. I am not going to lie. And then I heard, heard about the young man who got um, murdered near the Pagoda. And I was like, well, fuck, like. It's so, and, and I'm going to send you as a gift for being, <laughs> I'm going to send you this book because you got to read it. Um, it's so sad when, when safe places, land and forests and magical enchanted places um, are covered in a veil of fear, which happened to me and my interaction with place and like freedom in places, just from experiences, nothing um, very traumatic, just experiences of feeling like unsafe by others being yep. in these places that has, that has morphed these places. And it's time for us to take them back and feel safe in our places. And I think, you know, you have great momentum and a great, great, um, a great vision. So I wanted to mention that. And, um, I can't wait for you to share this book with you. Um, it's very cool. And it's all things that you're talking about. It's the enchanted life by Sharon Blackie. I'm going to have the link in the, in the, um, show notes, but the iron rabbit run is on Instagram. Is there any other place that we can find it? 
I don't have any other place as of right now. I do plan okay. on getting a website and stuff up this year, but um, with my limited internet, you know, sure. over here, um, it's been kind of hard for that, but you can always reach out to me on Instagram, uh, iron rabbit run at gmail.com. You know, okay. um, I do plan on having some plant sales, uh, like starter plant sales this year. Um, cool. I'll be posting that on Instagram. People can private message me and we'll talk about it. I don't even mind running to people's houses if you're local to drop them off. I mean, if people want to come here and pick up, that's cool too. Um, as of right now, I'm taking it a day at a time because I'm still yeah. recovering as well. So if you want to support my endeavors, just come hang out with me on Instagram and show me some love because I need a lot of it right now. It's a little tough trying to get this place off the ground. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm enjoying life. I, I mean, yes. don't get me wrong. I have these moments where like I, we were t talking about trauma earlier. I have these moments where I deal with my own traumas and you are absolutely right. It is very hard to find a safe place or a safe mm. space, especially as a woman. Yes. Um, and then being in this city with it in the shape that it's in. And mm -hmm. yes, there have been some pretty off-putting things that have gone on in the woods up here. Um, yeah. That make you feel unsafe, but just know that like, there are people that live out here. We love it out here. We respect the land out here. I mean, we want this place to be bigger than we can even imagine it to be because at one point it really was such a cool place to to go and like hang out and I don't know I feel like we have a lot of uh healing to do not just within ourselves but our neighbors you know and yeah. we could all be holding each other's hands through that that's sure we all know how hard it is to heal our own scars. Why not? Mm -hmm. I mean, you have a mask on your face. Smile anyway. You know that people <laughs> need it. Like your eyes can smile. Yeah, your eyes can smile. Yeah, it's interesting because just having worked in an urban area and having like that experience of like how do we shift um, the way that um, like the disconnect between you're so close to this super urban area and like, there's still a disconnect. Like, and I personally think the way to do that is through the kids and through education and through outreach, community outreach. I think there's, that's the, that's, they're sort of like our, um, what's the word? They're like the olive branch or, or the way that we kind of like heal this disconnect and also gain some respect um, for this land and how precious it, is, precious it is because, you know, it's really hard. Um, in, in Philadelphia, when I worked there, I worked in um, a section called Strawberry Mansion and it's right near the um, Fairmount Park area and it's yeah, just yeah. glorious. And even, even Strawberry Mansion in and of itself, like there's a jazz grape that came from there. I always, it escapes me um, what his name was. And, and even just the buildings, you know, could you know Philly, the buildings are just incredible and it's just it's just a general, like very sad, um, experience of seeing humans mistreat both the land and the earth. And also the, the like beautiful, even in an urban area, the beautiful properties and the beautiful spaces that were carved out to be able to connect to nature within a city, like, and your area within Reading sort of is that, you know, and yeah, I mean, it's so hard though, because 
the school system itself is so broken, but I think this is a really good path. I think I've, I've spoken to some people about doing community outreach with art and that's a way to like kind of hook the kids and have them like not repeat the same, you know, um, conditioning that they have for open spaces. And it's interesting because this one book that I need to share with you um, has stories of people and, and how you can find connectedness to nature and place we even within the urban area. So I'm really excited for you. And however we can support you throughout your journey, let us know um, if there's a moment where people can help monetarily to get this off the ground running. You know, we're here to support you and hold you up. And there is a community serum. We're here for you. Um, we just have to get you introduced to everybody and get you going. <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. I really, Absolutely. when you asked me to do this podcast, I was like, I am just such regular schmuck. Like, where not at? at all. No, you're very special. That is not true. That is just even within, you know, growing up wild. I mean, not everybody has that experience. You have a great story to tell. And I could, I'm not even lying. I could see it now. Like, of course, everything's a children's book for me. I'm like, write a children's book of your experience in this land, right? Do school visits in Reading. Can you freaking imagine? Like, that would be so amazing for an experience for these kids to have it brought to them a slideshow. Like, I've done school visits for Penny Olive. And I remember setting up one in my mom's school, which is kind of an urban area. And I was like thinking, what are these kids? They're going to like think this is so silly. It's like about farming and like Pennsylvania Dutch culture. They loved it because it was, it was new and exciting to them. And, and, you know, maybe something came from that where, where children connected in some way to that or thought of place or thought of connecting to culture in, in that way. So, I mean, it's, it's incredible the things that you can do and the little seeds you can plant. I always say that we live in a really unique place there we all think that culture in america has fallen to the wayside but we all carry little bits of it with us yes. and in our own you yeah. know and that's kind of what what it takes it and it's always good to be a good storyteller too because i yes. mean from what i know the native americans would pass stories on verbally it wasn't written down and yeah. i honestly kind of like the idea of that because with every human being that shares the story, they share a bit of themselves along with it. So For it's sure. and they, constant evolution. And to make the the children a part of that evolution is, mm-hmm. um, it's not changing the culture at all. It's right. adding to it. And yeah. what a beautiful thing to do, you know? There's 100%. so many of us, Yeah, there's so many of us that are searching and healing and growing. And people always ask, what could I do? What can I do? You just do you. Yeah. You do what is best for you and you do the healthiest thing that you can do and you follow through with moral integrity and the rest mm-hmm. of it works itself out. And everybody else that loves you will follow along and anybody else that doesn't, well then poo on them because they're missing out. Yeah. You know? But yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I would really love my, like I said, my main objective is to teach people, you know, how to do this. You can yeah. do it. You really can. And, it's never, and like, and like we said before, it's never too late and adults are certainly important, but I do think there's something in here that's definitely like, like ready to be sculpted for some kind of project to incorporate for kids. And like, you know, I think, um, there are efforts, certainly I'm sure, uh, in Reading, uh, Burke's historical society is something I'm thinking of right away. I'm sure there's some funds as well to get behind like a kind of project like this. I'm sure anything that you do with this property, 
I can see is going to help people and educate them. So I think it's really fantastic. And thank you, Sarah and yeah, and Adam for doing all this hard work and for taking a risk with this property and making it into something really special. And I'm sure Dorothy is really very, very happy and smiling down on you all. Yeah, I hope so. And thank you for having us about the grant process. Like I've yes. been looking into stuff like that. Um, it's been kind yes. of on hold uh, because of my own uh, minor health setbacks. But my husband and I are definitely looking for help with getting our buildings restored and getting a building up because I am our business as of right now is on a standstill because I can't really grow any further than where I'm at. There, There's not enough space in my 600 square foot house to process produce or even seed starting is it's whole as a whole other conversation. I, I just don't have the space, you know, I have, right. all these, I have all this envision and these dreams and like, and I'm ready to go for it despite how I feel. And I just can't get past the fact that I don't have infrastructure really that's what it comes down to is infrastructure but i'm in the very beginning stages and we all know everybody in the beginning stages has growth pains i mean look at all of us going through our teenage years girl i'm hurting <laughs> but oh my god seriously i am um, uh, you know, I'm enjoying it because yeah yeah and you know what it's funny because through my um you know through all of the things that i've done i also have historic preservation trust at berks county i'm going to hook you up i'm going to email you some people um but yeah there's definitely <clears throat> there's support out there for you guys, you, you know, and it is growing pains, but it's also, you can tell just the way you speak about it. There's so much energy behind it and it's, and it's an alive, um, land. Certainly it's living, but it's also this living history and the story's still being written. So I think it's just beautiful and you just hold on to it, girl, and let it ride it out because it's going in good places. <laughs> I, I really, I really do appreciate it, Rachel. Like, I can't wait to bring my little Montessorians over there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would love it. Come, come look at the bugs with me. There's such that would cool. Be so bugs cool. Here. Thank oh you so God. much, Sarah. Thank you, Rachel. And I'm we so can't cool. wait to see all the amazing things you guys do. So just keep taking pictures and sharing so we can follow your journey. Okay, I can do that for sure. Yay. All right, Sarah, you take care and I hope and I hope your health takes an uptick and, and you start to feel better. We're we're on the up and up. So good. Very, very good. All right, sister. All right. Max come over here. Yes, indeed. And I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right, talk to you soon. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you.